My name is Zoe, the co-host of Not Superwoman. I am the granddaughter of French, English and Irish immigrants now living on Boorong land. I acknowledge that we meet on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kula Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land in which this podcast was recorded. We pay respects to elders past and present. I recognize and respect their cultural heritage, beliefs and relationships with this land. The conversation around plant-based medicinal treatments during this episode is not medical advice. Hayday Medical is not promoting the use of medicinal cannabis. Medicinal cannabis is in Australia is scheduled medication and regulated by the Therapeutic Goods Administration TGA. Details around medicinal cannabis as a scheduled drug can be found on the TGA website. If you think medicinal cannabis may be right for you, please consult with your doctor. Welcome to this week's episode of Not Super Woman. This week we are joined by Phoebe McLeod and we are thrilled to welcome Phoebe this week. I know. we. Um, Phoebe is the co-founder and managing director of Heyday, um, um, a holistic medical clinic. And she is also a friend of ours and it's been a real pleasure to get her on because it's a bit of a layered episode, this episode. The Heyday Medical is beyond being a GP clinic where you can have consults and telehealth online. It's a clinic in which they um, practice and promote holistic care and uh, plant-based medicines. So like um, cannabis treatments and um, gummies and oils and ointments and all that sort of stuff. Um which I know we were both very intrigued by. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been I came to you wanting to do this episode because it is something that I'd been interested in for a long time and not I mean I have I had spoken with Phoebe about it but previous to Phoebe starting Heyday I'd looked into it for pain management for severe back pain Mm. at work Mm. and I was always kind of you know went to the doctor and was prescribed you know hardcore synthetic drugs essentially and they just used to make me feel revolting and I used to wake up in the morning and I'm like that was awful so I was kind of looking to explore different alternative um, ways to manage the pain which led me to gummies like medicinal marijuana and you know I think Chatting to my GP, who is older and conservative, they were automatically like, no, we don't do that kind of medicine, blah, blah, blah. So you really do have to look into it and kind of find your own avenues, um, which I guess applies to everything. But it it was an interesting journey for me and I was so interested to chat to her about it and, and, you know, see how how this kind of line of medicine has evolved. Yeah, well, because... Um, also, like Phoebe says to us, like it's still it's only seven that the, the legalized cannabis for usage of um, medicinal treatments has really only been in the last seven years that became legalized. And she said, in forms of uh, treatments, that's very young. Like it's still got a long way to go before it basically becomes a common practice in a doctor's court toolkit. Like it's not at the forefront of. It, majority GPs toolkit yet. Yes. And, um, and, I, and 
that will change through education. Well, it does. It takes like research and we know and understand, I guess, there's, you know, sort of there's a lot of grey area to work through and regulators um, are sort of going working with political parties and stuff to try and navigate it. But I think what was beautiful in this episode is the fact that it ties back to the reason and um, and the intention that Phoebe and her brother Jim, Dr Jim Connell, uh, started this, which I identified with her. Um, sh- sadly, her mum got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and um, her brother or her whole family congregated together in her mum's last sort of six months because sadly her diagnosis was terminal. And um, it was through her brother Jim who had done a lot of research and was already a practising GP that they were able to assist and care for their mum's pain and symptoms with medicinal marijuana use and and the profound physical and, I guess, mental impact that it had on her and in, and proved her late-stage cancer and quality of life during that time. And it, and it led them, once Phoebe's gorgeous mum, um, dear Helen, did pass, it led them to really drive an intention of creating this business for the greater good of the community because when you're dealing with those sort of – when you're dealing with circumstances like that, they – could see the um, positive impact it did have. And so, you know, the episode, I think, title says it itself, like growing from grief. Like Phoebe was an intellectual property lawyer um, with the Murdoch Children's Research Centre and, you know, her whole entire life changed when she not only had her family but then when her mum passed away. And, you know, to see her take such life-changing and difficult and traumatic life experience and turn it with her family members into such a silver lining that is going leaps and bounds is was a beautiful conversation to have. Oh, it was, yeah, and she did it so eloquently and with a an eight-week baby on her lap. Yes, so it was. <laughs> we are. We've got a bit of a funny reel coming up of the uh, trials and tribulations of the juggle of not superwoman, and it couldn't be um, more more honest in the in the it ode was- to the name. And you know what? Another article that I do want to link up on our on our socials is one from Mamma Mia a few weeks ago, which is the rise of the gummy mummies. <laughs> and I actually found that article hilarious off the back of this. I know, well, because it is. I guess it's it's still a taboo in a way because it's so unknown. Like not everybody really understands it. And and whilst Phoebe talks us through it, she's not sitting here saying it's great and everyone should should get on board. It's just more like go and inform yourself. And if you're struggling with challenges, like it's now known that it treats over 100 different illnesses and diagnosis. Um, it, it can have a like impact across a layered effect, like physically in a positive way, like so she it, it but it's not it may not be for everyone and um and you can go and ha- um find out more information through consultation with your GPs so yeah but we'll definitely pop that article up cuz it is good for a laugh yes. i had a laugh yeah love it <laughs> so we it are back, it actually brought back white lotus moment 
<laughs> you know when when Daphne Daphne's at the bar and she's having a gummy. Oh no, I don't right remember. At the, oh, I feel like I, I need to go back and watch. I've, I've, yeah, it's uh, so good. I love that song. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, so we actually okay, did well, want that song as um, our not so Foreman theme song. It yeah, I'm is really quite... glad we said no. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we're very excited to welcome and share Phoebe's story. Welcome, Phoebe McLeod. Welcome to this week's episode of Not Super Woman. We are joined by a dear friend and an incredible woman herself, uh, Phoebe McLeod. You are the co-founder and managing director of your family-run business, Heyday Medical, which we were talking about is a plant-based medicinal company. Would you call it like a cannabis? Yeah, cannabis medicines. Medicines. And um, your brother and your husband, you've been on quite an amazing, challenging and really, uh, I mean, I, I, I emotional journey in starting mm. this company. Um, it's been a really big three and a half years. I know because we, yeah, it's like it's it. Zoe and I were talking. Zoe wanted to do this episode, and and as did I. But when we were talking about it, she was, we were saying how much um, um, prescription medicinal marijuana and cannabis and CBD oil and stuff is such new territory. For the majority, I'm sure there are people that are far more well versed in it than we are. But um, but it's been quite incredible to hear and understand that you guys started about three years ago. Do you mind like? And you've shared with us your your journey and the reason why you started. Do you mind if we start back then and um, tell us a bit about three years ago and how it all came about? Yeah. Um, so. Certainly three and a half years ago, I did not think I'd be starting a legal cannabis company and, you know, the mum selling weed at the kindy drop-off kind of thing and running a, business with, <laughs> <laughs> running a business with my husband and brother. I mean, double combo there. I mean, you get so many warnings not to work with family and friends and here we were jumping in with all sorts of family members. So I was in a very happy place Um Lovely, you know, family life. We live in the Macedon Ranges on a little farm. Started having kids um, and mum was up the road in Bellato, which is near Dalesford, and was, was very involved in our lives and um, had my son Jack one day a week and, you know, we were really close. She was – I was one of those lucky women that had a, a mum that was not just a great caring mum that had been there for everything, but she was my best friend. And um, – I was in a great job. I worked at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, which is this fabulous not-for-profit attached to the Royal Children's Hospital that um, really has like 2,000 kooky and wonderful researchers working across all areas of kids' health. Um, And the Murdoch also owns the Victorian Clinical Genetic Service, so they do all the genetic testing for kids with, you know, really rare syndromes and do a lot of the pregnancy screening. So I did law science at Monash Uni. I did my major in genetics. I'd been in private practice law at an intellectual property sort of boutique law firm for five years and this was my first in-house legal job and I just loved it. Like it was – I was pretty well qualified for the job. It was sort of my – a really obvious and amazing fit for me. So I'd been happily there for for seven years um, leading a legal team of four and – I'd got involved in some of the business development work, which was, 
you know, commercialising some of the IP coming out of the Institute. So we'd built, <clears throat> and I had a more of a focus on the digital health side of things, which was using technology to solve health problems. So we built a concussion recognition app with the AFL for parents to recognise signs of concussion on the sidelines. Wow. And some really, like, just really fulfilling stuff, you know. As a lawyer, I never thought I'd land in a place that had such purpose and be a really important cog in the wheel, but just a cog in the wheel. You know, I think a lot of lawyers have, you know, egos and being in, like, a private practice setting wasn't really a good personality fit for me, although I enjoyed it and I'm glad I had my start there. Anyway, um... I do love it when you say egos because I've got family friends and I often say to them, I'm like, you know, crapping on Bob, and they're like, I can't do that, I'm a lawyer. And I'm like, well, <laughs> what, what does that actually mean? And they're like, no, I'm a lawyer. And I'm like, well, okay, great. Like, are you doing law things all day? Like, everyone <laughs> does things that doesn't like, like, just because you're a lawyer. Yeah. Like, I'm doing weddings. Like, thank you. You know, like, why does that... I don't know, other friends that are doctors too, they often say things like, I'm a doctor. Yeah, there's some deep-seated sort of cultural... (laughs) It's just so funny. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I think, a lot of professional services. I've never thought of you like that. that. Yeah, I've always probably been a bit outside the traditional lawyer mould. But I can imagine um, working as a lawyer in that field to be quite humbling. Like, you, you would, whilst generally, you were saying before, people... Uh, who can work as a lawyer or doctors or whatever might have some form of ego but then when you're working in children's medical research it would probably like oh I was such a small cog in a much bigger wheel and um I just loved working with the scientists I mean they were pretty kooky a lot of the time but they were passionate about this sort of really precise area of science and research they you know were paid a pittance they had no job security going from grant to grant and so it was just really um, beautiful to be able to help those people achieve some really ambitious projects. I mean we really punched high in terms of like credibility of the research that Murdoch Children's carries out like and it was really diverse so even though I was there for seven years and even though I was mainly doing the legals like every project was different. We were doing you know big genetic collaborations but then you know, there was a big public health research team that were, um, you know, doing things from rolling out mass, you know, vaccination programs in Fiji through to getting Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to get solar panels on hospitals in Papua New Guinea so they could bring in paediatric oxygen machines because 30% of kids died in Papua New Guinea in this area because of lack of access to oxygen. Just really, you know... Simple but, but you know, imperative, yeah. Yeah, and just like real public health So um, it's quite work. really, I mean, now looking back, it's quite fortuitous that you worked not only as an intellectual property lawyer but in... In research. In and research health. and health to then... Because then from there you started to bounce off your brother the idea about starting a plant-based medicinal company yeah um so in March 2020 mum was diagnosed with late stage pancreatic cancer um which was just like sucker punch knock for six you know really so that was during COVID COVID was just kicking off and you just had your second baby and I was on maternity leave from the Murdoch Children's three months into three months so you know in the haze of early stage um, early stage bub and you know our world was just shattered it was you know mum was 
amazing, like, from the outset at being quite, you know, this is okay, we can handle this, um, you know, not it is what it is, but she had an amazing demeanour throughout the whole journey, which I can, which I'll talk a bit more about later. But, um, you know, it was just, it floored us. And this, the same week, my husband Al lost his job in finance. Like, bloody hell. The company he worked for nearly went under that week with COVID sort of really cementing itself to stay. Um, and yeah, our world was rocked. So mum was sort of given a pretty, bleak prognosis sort of three to six months and had a really aggressive form of of pancreatic cancer and um, she had been diagnosed with sort of raging diabetes the month before that was really out of the blue and it was obviously the the cancer Um, but in that short period of time it sort of manifested to she had like lumps on her head that we thought was a side effect of the diabetes medication that ended up being tumors so it kind of like just threw these barbs out all around her body and was very sort of you know, visual in that sense and ever-present. Um, but, you know, despite that... So, so mum was just a... She was the great connector with my th- other two siblings and I, you know, so much more than a than a mum, a friend to all of us. And so my sister Thea came over from Tassie and lived with her. Mum and dad split up 10 years or so ago. So mum was on her own. So Thea and her partner, Krez, who's our Heyday brand manager, another family member. I love, behind into I love it so much. Incredible. Like, oh, God. I, I'm Maybe in we could start it. Oh, we have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you are you need a, a blood relative. But <laughs> layering some siblings and others. Yeah. No. Um, I could God. work with Harry. I can't even imagine. I mean, often in the podcast I've reflected upon the fact that I didn't struggle, uh, that I struggled pretty hardcore when I had children um and 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 Phoebe and I chatted about in in the lead up to this interview is that the the juggle the struggle I should say has also been with a parent being sick and then in turn absent for Mm. you Mm. um I can't imagine what COVID a new baby yeah and a diagnosis like that well, and financial anxiety with your yeah, husband. Yeah, and my husband sort of having this... Career crisis. You know, and it was sort of always his last job in finance. So he was looking for an out, but this was like that forced, all right, well, you're out now, so what are you going to do with yourself? He um, planted 100 kilos of garlic that winter on our farm and <laughs> had a you know, short foray into becoming a garlic farmer, which didn't quite work out. The whole house stunk of garlic for oh about my four God. months <laughs> there. It was like little wafery bits of white... But I think he just wanted to channel this time we had at home as well, like that yeah. Into yeah. So something. COVID was, um, you know, was a positive in the sense that, um, you know, the commitments to go into work and be part of like busy everyday life. So much of that was put on pause, and we could just really. And Mum just wanted to. So my sister Thea came. My brother Jim came down from Noosa with his family in their caravan. You know, they crossed the border the day before it closed. It was quite sort of wild, high energy in that sense. And Mum had all the three chickadees around her, and it's all she wanted. She said, "This is shit, and let's make the most of the time we've got." And I just, I don't want to wallow. I've had a really amazing life and you guys are my proudest moment and um let's just have fun and um you know make the most of this and Mm. um you know she wasn't saying you know let's pretend I don't have it or anything like that but she was and so we were just like right mum we're we're on this 
ride with you and um, we're here for you. And, and Thea was amazing because she was the only one that didn't have kids. That was our younger sibling. And she was there with mum, you know, who was otherwise on her own caring for her day and night. You know, her partner, Kres, was feeding them both. And, you know, I'm so grateful that she could step away from her, you know, busy life in Tassie to, um, to be there for mum because I just had this guilt, you know, like guilty that I wasn't with my kids as much and guilty that I wasn't with mum and just trying to, you know, do that juggle and deal with my own grief and not kind of fall apart every time I saw mum or if she was having a rough day. So it was a lot. So it took all us three siblings kind of being there and getting around mum and to actually give her well, everything she needed. And you can all needed. pick up each other when one's feeling a bit down yeah. and yeah. kind of balance off each other. It was a really beautiful time for us siblings to bond in a way you know, we hadn't since we all lived together prior to going to boarding school. No, you and don't was, ever go back. Mum was the great connector. So, you know, we're not, we weren't siblings who called each other every week and, you know, mum would be always sharing our news on the family grapevine and <laughs> we'd call the other one. I'm like, oh, I heard you did this. Hey. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we really, yeah, connected in in a deep way and, you know, when you sort of have something like the imminent death of your mum to connect over like you really do uncover the adults my siblings had become in a whole new way that we probably wouldn't have had the time to unpick no and unfortunately the that what comes with that fortunately and unfortunately is I I feel like through my experience everything that is the peripheral that doesn't bring value or meaning into life flitters away Mm. and you had your siblings in that time to like congregate together and collectively unite and be each other's strengths. Yeah. And then what's so even more fortuitous is that your brother is a um, practising GP doctor. So Jim arrived and, um, you know, quite quickly was keen to get mum on a cannabis-centred regime. And, like, cannabis is is sort of well studied as a a great – tool to use alongside conventional chemotherapy it can help was she having side effects too yeah Yeah. so mum so mum started chemo like three days after she was diagnosed it was a real whirlwind and she had a good month or so where she was having chemo every week and then moved to fortnightly and she was pretty chipper it wasn't too too bad and then it sort of like obviously hit a like high toxicity point and she just fell apart like vomiting yeah. Head in the toilet, couldn't sleep. Just like quality of life rapidly going down the gurgler. And so at that time Jim said, right, you know, let's introduce some cannabis. He'd had a conversation with her oncologist who was relatively lukewarm on the idea and a bit dismissive but didn't sort of say no. So that was Jim's green That's light. That's positive. Yeah, I mean like a, <laughs> Forge rather, <ahead. laughs> a rather common experience, um, sadly, with a lot sort of, of specialists. Exactly, and, and that's sort of the common running theme, I think. I, want, I don't want to say on behalf of all specialists and doctors, but there's this thing I think we spend so much time and energy studying and ingrained in something, something, you know, like the what you specialise in or what you – the medical Western kind of focus is so ingrained that it's I, – I can only imagine it would probably take some time to really appreciate other things, other, other, other avenues and you would lose – 
Yeah, and I would feel like everything would complement each other and what's wrong with trying something. Yeah, I think for a I'm lot of doctors, doctor. their, their <laughs> brains are full. Like they say that by the time a GP kind of hits 40, they're pretty like set in their ways in terms of how they manage different conditions. Jim um, had been prescribing cannabis to his patients up in the Sunshine Coast for a couple of years, so it had quite a bit of experience. Um, and so he got mum on a... A, com- a range of cannabis medicines, so some oils. Um, we were also accessing some flour to make cannabis teas from. And he was a bit frustrated at the lack of products out there in the Australian market and some of these more novel formats he wanted, like the teas and topicals and rubs to put on, um, you know, inflamed joints and stuff. And so we did a bit of home brewing and home making of stuff. So Mum was drinking lots of cannabis tea, which she never was a big one for herbal tea, so it was a little bit like forcing it down her throat. But that was really one of the only things that stopped her vomiting. Um, And different oils, which were sort of daytime and nighttime oils and different ratios of CBD and THC. Um, And then, you know, some homemade creams as well. So it was, you know, we couldn't have come up, couldn't have had that regime without a doctor that had had lots of experience in rolling that program out to different patients. I mean, and and it, and it just worked. I think for the first time, Jim's like, yes, I'm not this sort of, you know, weird GP up in... A witch doctor. Yeah. <laughs> it was really validating for him, for us to really intimately see what he, what he had focused a lot of his practice around. I mean, at the time, he had a 12-week wait list to see patients. Like, he was, was yeah, one that's of the early massive. doctors. And we're like, God, why does everyone want to come and see you for cannabis? But, you know, he, he'd built up a lot of experience. And, and it's word of mouth. You know, other people have a great result and they're like, why don't you try this? This could work for you. Well, also, because other people can be at a loss. And there's only, you sort of, it provides a lot of hope. Mm. And there is that stigma. Like, why, you know, people think, oh, I'll be a drug addict. It's like, no, that's, you know, do your own research, due diligence, look into it. It, Mm. It's not about that. It's about, you know, finding what works for you, what's Mm. right for you, the right dosage, the right doctor. The right doctor. And even, um, I mean, I just find, like, listening to you now, I mean, the whole entire sort of foundation of how Heyday started is just astounding because, and beautiful, that, like, a family came together to unite for the sake of your mum and then... Your brother had, and you had legal experience. Your brother had, and, and in legal experience in medicine, and then your brother had mm. was a pr- practicing doctor that also had been doing research into medicinal marijuana treatments. Yeah, and then well, Al in finance, and, and so we had a ready-made finance CFO. officer, and then the other co-founder, um, and really, like, I have to give him credit for probably why it actually got off the ground is, um, you know, a friend and, and who'd been a colleague of mine at the Murdoch, um, Sam Holt. So he's he was our health um, entrepreneur in residence at the Murdoch Children's. He's, you know, he's got a decade on the rest of the founding team. He's started successful health businesses before. He was one of the founders of GPTU, which is one of the first telehealth companies. I love that companies. And yes. he kind of chipped away at us, you know, he's like, Babes and Jim, you know, we should do this. He'd been sort of looking for an opportunity to get into cannabis but hadn't found the right team to do it and, you know, thought, you know, Jim could really be the face of medicinal cannabis in Australia and that we had all the skills in the team to to have a good crack at it. So I feel like I certainly did my best to kill the idea. I'd never (laughs) imagined 
myself been a part of, let alone running a medicinal cannabis company. Um, and that all starting second round of Matt Lee. And I love you sitting here looking at you and you're like blonde, you know, <laughs> breastfeeding your child and you're really wholesome. <laughs> But, but I, you know, life has strange ways of panning. Yeah, and I need it? to and not think of that stigma and what I think of when I think of. And well, I, so I don't think of that anymore. Job. I've embraced it. Mm. Yeah, I was so happy in my job, so I had no reason to look for something else. But sometimes it just happens. And not to to make it too personal, but I mean, is the driving force going through that experience of seeing your mum in mm. in going through? that last six months before she passed away, was that the driving force that pushed you over the edge to go, no, I want to do this for her and for her sake? Yeah, yeah, to help patients like her, to bring to market the products we had to sort of home cook up in our kitchen um, and just to put a really passionate, you know, health-centric team out there into the cannabis industry and, and advocate for patients and really, you know, bring a credible story and a... Um, you know, help to change that stigma that, that the medical fraternity has. Like, really work hard to bring it from the fringe into the mainstream. And, you know, we've also been able to achieve that, not because we've got, we're doctor-led, which is well, very few cannabis companies in Australia are. <clears throat> we're all from health, <clears throat> apart from Al, who was like, oh, wish I was from health. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you need to do our tax return. <laughs> <laughs> um but our chairperson, um, chair of the board, and he's very involved, has been a great mentor to me. We have a weekly check-in and couldn't have done it without him as a, is a psychiatrist called Dr Andrew Wilson who's very senior at Medibank Private. And so he was our cornerstone investor when we first started Heyday and really put us through our paces before deciding to, to jump on board. But, you know, he's a, he's a very well-respected psychiatrist. And so I think having not just a GP who's younger um, and then a older, more seasoned psychiatrist and a lawyer, you know, I think it gives us credibility in a way that um, we I think cannabis bringing. really needs. Mm. And I think we also speak about cannabis in a really balanced, you know, it's not some holy grail. Like there's a lot of people in the industry and outside of the industry, you know, the black market is far bigger in Australia than the legal side of it, um, you know, who are really evangelistic about cannabis. And I don't think that's helpful all the time because um, it is just another tool that should be in a GP's toolkit. It's not this magic medicine that works for everyone. It certainly doesn't work for everyone. Um, but for a lot of people, why wouldn't you try a, a natural alternative with a really low side effect profile? And that's the message we try and get through to doctors. You know, this should be in your toolkit why wouldn't you give it a try? And you yeah. know, maybe the results will speak for themselves. Because we were talking about that the other day. So it's sort of been around um, – it's been legalised for sort of six, seven yeah, years. Yeah, 20, late 2016. 2016. But with a prescription. With a prescription. With a prescription. But the, the, the black or illegal market or the green market has always been there. I mean, so, you know, I think there was a study done – by the Pennington Institute in 2019 that said that two and a half million Australians had had cannabis in 2019, you know, the vast majority of them would have, you know, been home growing or accessed it through a friend just doing it illegally. But, and a lot of, um, you know, black market users have, have come over to the medical market, <clears throat> um, which is great because I think doctor-led cannabis care is Well, and is I think better. you want to know that the dosage is... Mm done correctly because I think I, I always think of it as if someone gives you a glass of alcohol say 
well, what is that? Is that a glass of wine? Is it a shot of vodka? Mm. It's so different. Whereas yeah. same with, I guess, That's right. medicinal cannabis. Yeah. Mm. And then there's someone there sort of holding you to account, making sure you're using it responsibly. Yeah. Um, but also the, the cannabis medicine you access through the legal market is, you know, in terms of how it's produced is, you know, really stringent requirements around safety, toxicity, what's, you know, the medium it's grown in through to how it's processed and whether there's been any exposure to... So would you, your preference obviously be Australian grown organic? Is that yeah, even a ideally. thing? I don't know if that's a thing. Yeah, so, um, you know, the market right now is really interesting. There's over 400 cannabis products that a patient could be prescribed. So it's a huge yeah, thing big. for a doctor to wrap their head around and they often, right. you know, get comfortable with a couple of brands and keep that in there main toolkit, um, about 80% of the cannabis available in the medical market here in Australia is imported from places like Canada. And so it's got a pretty high carbon footprint. Most of it's grown in <clears throat> glass houses with, you know, under supplemental lighting. So pretty big environmental, um, you know, factors to consider. So Jim and Alan Sam and I just didn't want to start a business that fed into that and so saw a real place for you know, sustainably grown Australian cannabis, um, <clears throat> you know, doctor-selected and formulated. Um, and a lot of our products are grown outdoors or, you know, under the sun, so low-carbon footprint in that sense. And that's been really great that we sort of went after that that niche. There was a yeah, gap, that's fantastic. There was a gap to fill three years ago. And I think, you know, we got the timing right and the, the team right. And as we always <laughs> say to each other, you know, it'll only be us that fuck this up. You know, we've kind of... Well, yeah, and when it's your laid, family... We've been lucky to get good foundation. And we've got a strong story, like we've got a real purpose for, for being and that kind of drives yeah. us every day. So if we were to, like, if we're talking about treatments, it's, it's like chronic pain, it's um, palliative care, it's uh, anxiety. Like, what, what else what does it cover? What about things like dementia? yeah. I, I don't there's over a hundred conditions. Yeah, there's so many things it's been prescribed for, and I mean, I won't get too in the weeds with it because I don't want to no. look like I'm well, enticing like everyone to um. No, it's just more understanding, it, like what? Because I mean, I was saying to you in the lead up to this interview that I was like, I didn't even know I could go to my GP and even suggest that because, for example, I do suffer really bad anxiety at times and. Often what's been prescribed to me is sleeping tablets in my peak periods of not being able to control it. Um, so if I was to – I didn't even know going to my GP and talking to you uh, – talking to the GP about a, um, an alternative option mm. was an option, mm. you know. Um, so I'm just trying to think of – for those that are listening and this is new territory like me because I am so not across it, um, trying to understand its purpose beyond – your the story of your mum using it for her side effects and and symptoms of um it's I think I mean it's it's broad brush in terms of it has a role to play in the management of lots of different diseases and often the more chronic and complex the disease the better cannabis you know can be at helping manage some of those some of those symptoms so um, in Australia right now, about 60% of the million prescriptions that have been written since 2016 have been for chronic pain. And that obviously covers a broad range of actual disease right. states. Um, following that's anxiety and depression. Um, and then there's a long tail of other conditions, but some interesting ones. 
um, you know, insomnia and sleep disturbances. A lot of people use cannabis containing a little bit of THC for sleep at night. Um, <clears throat> endometriosis. Um, one of that's the ones that there's a lot of press coverage around is around um, epilepsy and seizure yeah. management. Yeah. Wow. And muscle God, spasticity. So, you know, it's so relaxed, isn't it? Well, it's meant to kind of relax you. Yeah. But not to a point where you can't function. You're still high functioning. Yeah. I think when you're doing it, taking it medically under the guidance of the doctor, the aim is to get relief and not get high. That's yeah. the number one rule, I think. Um, but also, if you've got a chronic condition, like you. You, tend to, you won't get high, like you'll be getting relief. That's the aim of the medicine. So, um, you know, the two – so cannabis is a really complex herbal medicine. There's um, <clears throat> 160 cannabinoids in the plant itself and two of those cannabinoids are THC and CBD that, you know, pretty much 99% of medicine. So hang on, I'm going to ask on. a stupid question. THC, is that meant to – uh, re- relax and relieve and CBD heightens? Is it? Um, how do it depends you... what you're treating. It's yes. quite complex. And can you mix both together? Yeah, often with good effect, a, yes. balanced, a balanced ratio can give. Um, so CBD is um, a complex molecule and that it currently has 60 known mechanisms of action in the body. So most medicines we take act on one mechanism in the body that we understand and do a whole lot of research around and understand really clearly that if we tap the body with this external medicine and it will do this in the body whereas cbd is like a bit of a shotgun medicine and so it has broad ranging effects including sort of more neural and brain related and you know so it's really good for managing some mental health conditions but also it's um like a known anti-inflammatory yes um, okay and can be used for treatment of all sorts of you know, pain that are inflammation and often muscular related. THC, on the other hand, is its sort of big bad brother in that it's the molecule that's responsible um, for giving you that high, um, psychoactive. Um, But when used medically, um, it's often used for more chronic pain um, and mental health stuff as well like it's very successfully used for some people in the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a very useful sleep aid um, because it can be quite sedating whereas you're right CBD can often be quite uplifting yeah and yeah they've just there's so many different uses and it really depends on the person and the condition they're presenting with and I think a a doctor formulated sort of personalized regime is really what's going to give someone the best chance of having a of a positive experience so um are there if we were to speak to the australian market and it might vary from state to state like generally different legislative rules like t8 no you're not allowed to drive if you've got if you are on a prescribed medication that has thc yeah there's been quite a bit of that in the media um Mm -hmm. it's one of the things the legalized cannabis australia party are are doing their best to um to change. So, because would it be like having a glass of wine? Sorry to interrupt. Like you know, you could have two, yeah. is it two glasses of wine over the first whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think it's all the it sort of comes down to impairment. Yes. Um, and so, sadly, with cannabis, because it's been illegal until twenty seventeen. It's on those mandatory roadside drug tests picked up with all the other narcotics and other illegal medicines, and there's no way to differentiate between, you know, illegally used cannabis and prescription used, apart from a 
Patient pulling the script out of their glove box and and saying, I'm a medical patient. This has been recommended by my doctor. Um, But THC, so it's only THC containing medicines that are problematic with driving. If you're on a CBD only medicine, it's fine and not. Not, part, not caught up in that sort of very discriminatory drug test that still exists today. Um, and it's only in Tasmania that it's a legal defence if you're a medical cannabis patient, um, to, if you test positive on one of those roadside drug tests. But for everyone else... That's interesting. Mm. It's not impairment because that's really hard to measure. It's detection. And THC can stay in your mouth because it's... Um, it can stay in your mouth for a prolonged period of time, so well past the point of yes. having been having experienced any potential impairment, um, you know, for days and sometimes weeks. Right. So there's a lot of I don't want to say there's a, there are patients that have been caught up in that, have tested positive, and have ended up in, you know, the magistrate's court. And you know, ninety percent of the time, the magistrate says, "Why are you here? Your doctor prescribed this. This is ridiculous." But that's they're the sort of black and white rules. I guess. I mean, as you said to me, with um, the fact that that it is two thousand late two thousand sixteen that it was made legalised for prescription. I guess there's um, what what hit home when we were talking is that you said that in the medical world, six six seven years is still quite young. Yeah, and I guess it sounds like it's on its way through figuring these things out but this is the stuff that I guess is the part of the process of trying to find the the boundaries and sort of fine lines of how we incorporate and introduce this as a part of a doctor's standard toolkit, so to speak. And the way in which it was made legal means um, as a doctor you have to have a patient in front of you that's got a diagnosed condition that's been existent for more than three months and you have to have tried a conventional therapy first that either hasn't worked or hasn't had or has had you know intolerable side effects so that's kind of the legal criteria a doctor has to satisfy to then be able to prescribe to a patient so it's got that aspect to it as well yeah um so there's nothing simple (laughs) about for a doctor to you know, prescribe cannabis really, and it does require a bit more time in a consult, which just doesn't fit the usual Mold. bulk billing GP clinic model. Mm. So there are a whole range of specialist clinics that have opened up with doctors focused on plant medicine. We run one of them, Heyday Medicals, um, a product company, but we also have a small clinic that was really to build a support network around Jim and that huge wait list of patients he had. So we now have four doctors and a nurse who look after 3,000 patients around Australia. That's amazing. Uh, old, our youngest patient's seven and our oldest is 97. So it's really rewarding. God, and that's good. You know, great to be at the coalface in terms of, um, you know, understanding the patients coming in, what they're after. It feeds directly into our product innovation and development pipeline so you know we definitely want to stay relevant in that sense but there's a huge application and a lot of interest wow. I, mean, I hope that in 10 years there won't need to be specialist mm. clinics and that it is just a gp frontline tool because that's where it should should live mm. um i mean and thinking about how this started as a startup and now you, you're a business with staff members and, you know, have grown so much within three years. But on top of that, you're dealing with the loss and the passing of your mum mm. and then with 
I mean, we're we're sitting here with Rupert today, a your new ba- seven week old baby. Why my nipples not on the couch? Has <laughs> <laughs> just come off the bed? We'll get Luke to crop it out. Um, it's but, good for Insta. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think about like that is a lot for a woman to go through. I mean, you sort of you've had starting a business having babies and also the loss of one of the most important people in your life mm. all in the one in the one in the phase. one short phase yeah. we well, are also about to move to Tassie <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, that's quite big I think yes. I did say to Al the other week are we just addicted to change now I'm a very practical sensible Torian usually but yeah the last three years in a way has been a little bit <clears throat> unhinged and really pushing me outside my comfort zone but it's been so rewarding and I feel like having had that, you know, that deep grief and this traumatic life experience, which I'd had such a charmed life before Mum died. I mean, we'd been so lucky that really nothing too bad had ever touched our family. And, um, you know, when you get a reality check like that and you, you know, get that reminder at how precious life is and how, you know, you kind of want to just... If you're, not, if you're doing something that you don't love... Like, fix it. <laughs> like, fix it. Yep. Mm. I think. Change it. I won't be back next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew that was coming. So, yeah. <laughs> Leap of faith. So, can I ask you a personal question? Well, we're going quite personal anyway. <laughs> did you, what, did this change, like, how did this change come about to be, to move to Tassie? Oh. Because um, that really seems pretty big. Like, yeah. Is it? Yeah, know. it is, it is. And we're lucky that we run a business, like we've got 11 staff who are all up the southeastern seaboard, seaboard and, you know, our brand manager lives in Tassie and um, so... And your sister's We there. don't have to be, you know, close to Melbourne to run work, which is amazing. Yes. Like that would have been a huge barrier to moving to Tassie. But um, we're moving down there for family. My husband Al's from Tassie, so we've got these wonderful grandparents desperate to be involved. Yeah. Um, and my sister, who's having her first baby next month. Oh. And I just want to be there for her, you know. I can't. Oh, it'll be fantastic. She hasn't got mum, and I'm a pretty crappy substitute. But I hope I can support her mm. and not be too, you know, <laughs> Rachel realistic after having three boys. Oh, just do this. Just don't do be that. bitter. Yeah. Phoebe. I, don't want, I don't want to, you know, take the joy out of it. Um, but yeah, it's been really, it's bittersweet because I've got so many memories tied up where we live. Mum's buried ten minutes away. From our little farm and I've got a great community up there and, yeah, it's a lot. So we didn't make the decision lightly but we're family people and that's where our family is. So it's a bit of a lifestyle. You've sort of reached this tipping point where the business is um, running. The and business is sort of not a start-up anymore. Yep. Which is, I mean, I never thought it would get to this phase necessarily. Like it's, it's – so, I'm so chuffed and I know mum would just be – I'm so proud of you kids, you know, I just, it's really exciting. So because we've now, you know, got staff, um, like I hired a full-time operations manager before I had Rupert, you know, we can keep the show on the road and um, I hope to come back, um, you know, not that you ever really have maternity leave from your own company. Matt, yes, yes. Um, But I hope to come back and do more of the leading and the strategy and not all the doing as well. Yes. And we've like, you know, hit that point we're now profitable, you know, we're making a little bit money like it's really that'll be a really good point to be at and then I mean this one is a a tricky one because I I I feel like hindsight on grief 
is is like can be quite a difficult and emotional reflection. Mm. But do you have something that you would go back and sort of nurture yourself in your sort of darker moments of dealing and going through grief, how you couldn't grow from grief? I think um, I think just I feel like with grief you've either experienced it or you haven't. Like I feel I look back now on things I've said to people in the past before I'd had this experience of losing my best friend and mother and just how stupid that was in the moment. Like it's sort of you, you've either experienced it uh, or you haven't and it's sort of like this eye-opening revelation and moment that is about you know, life is so short, anything could happen, like that real fragility of life and, um, you know, making the most of every moment and not sweating the small stuff. I mean, I've always been a little bit like that. As I said, I was quite blunt. Like I haven't ever cared that much what others think. But, you know, when this happened with mum, I was just totally like, fuck, whatever. Um, and, you know, took that leap of faith to, to start heyday and knowing that I could probably always go back to a conventional job if it all fell in a heap. Um, but in terms of the great, like, I think heyday is the positive silver lining that's come out of losing mum. But in terms of how I've harnessed that, it's not so much about business or family life. It's just that constant reminder. And I get this constant reminder because I talk about mum a lot because she's a key part of focus of our business is, you know, just living life to the full and, you know, pushing your boundaries and, um, you know, enjoying the real complex ride that life can give you. And, you know, all in the aim to, if you get faced with a diagnosis like mum and hopefully like live to a ripe old age, you can die like she died, which was just with no regrets, um, you know, with such grace and beauty and still to the, you know, to the moment she died caring about us and, how we coped in that moment and just, um, yeah, just, <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. I know exactly. I, I can hear what you're saying and I think it's it's honestly, it, it, it is an honour to, to hear you speak so vulnerably and rawly about something that has been so traumatic Yeah, that you have managed as a family I mean, I'm not your mum, <laughs> but I can only imagine as a mother, b- being a mother myself I, and as a person even, how profound and beautiful that the legacy that you leave behind is a family that went on to create something in your honour that, yeah. that helps people, contributes back in some way, shape or form and all formulating back to her as the central reason yeah. of her because of how powerful you loved her and love her still. Yeah, I think she was pretty epic. And so, you know, whilst it's hard to talk about this in a public setting and it's a bit, oh, talking about your family in such an intimate way, like, I, you know, when, when someone dies, like everyone moves on very quickly and I want mum to be remembered. She was just a rock star and she... um like her zest for life and her ability to get to the end of her life, you know, far before she should have and deal with it how she did and go like she did. I think to be in a position where you've got no regrets, you've scratched all those itches, you've taken multiple leaps of faith personally and professionally, I think you can 
possibly die a lot more comfortably and um, you're more prepared mm-hmm. to die when you haven't left a rock unturned. Yes. And I would love to be in the position to, when I'm facing the end of my life, feel like that. That's amazing. baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's really beautiful. And thank you and well done on on God, on that, was, every, that would have been hard. <laughs> yeah, and we've loved having you. You have spoken Thanks, so girls. well. You have explained your business purpose. You've explained your personal purpose you know, profound impact and purpose so well. And we're very, very grateful that you are willing to share with us today and um, how on uh, how I'm sure proud your mum would be. Yeah, thanks, babes. Thanks, thanks, girls. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Not Super Woman. You can find extra resources, links and information on our website, which is notsuper-woman.com. Is that a dash or a hyphen? A dash is a hyphen, Rash. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, and if you're enjoying what we're bringing, you can follow us on our socials and we're across all podcast platforms. So hit subscribe, guys. Subscribe.